Hi friends, I'm Pastor Stephen and you're listening to the Oakham Church Podcast. Welcome to episode three and uh, this week we will be discussing in a bit more depth um, some of the themes that came up on last Sunday's message. But first, a bit of housekeeping, I'm happy to uh, be able to announce that the OCP now has an email address um, so that you have a way of being able to contact us. Um, so you can send through any questions, any thoughts, any suggestions for upcoming episodes of the podcast. And all you have to do is email theocp at mail.com. That's theocp at mail.com. So on with the episode. And I'll start by uh, reading from Luke chapter 12. Someone out of the crowd said, Teacher, order my brother to give a fair share of the family inheritance. He replied, Mister, what makes you think that this is any business of mine to be judge or mediator for you? Speaking to the people, he went on, Take care, protect yourselves against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself. What can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of goods, who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. He continued this subject with his disciples. Don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or if the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your inner life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the ravens, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, carefree in the care of God, and you count far more. Has anyone by fussing before the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? If fussing can't even do that, why fuss at all? Walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They don't fuss with their appearance. But have you ever seen colour and design quite like it? The ten best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of them never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? take pride in you, do his best for you. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, not be so preoccupied with getting, so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions, you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. 
You're my dearest friends. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven, far from bank robbers. Safe from embezzlers. A bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be. And end up being. Now straight off, what I think is very interesting um, to kind of notice and pay attention to and, and open our eyes to is the, the connection or the link that Jesus makes um, in these stories that I've just read to us. I think it's really interesting that Jesus chooses to talk about these themes of worry and stress and anxiety in the exact same kind of sentences and conversations as he talks about possessions and money and stuff. Jesus is making this very astute connection between our constant need for more, which he calls greed, and anxiety and fear and worry. I shared on Sunday about how um, I recently, during the lockdown, painted our hallway, uh, Magnolia. And once I'd done it, I got very precious about this Magnolia hallway. Sounds ridiculous, really, even saying it out loud. But I got very, I was proud of how, how nice it looked and how clean it looked and how new and fresh and shiny it looked. And so I spent a few days after I'd painted it going and checking on it making sure it had dried nicely, making sure it didn't look patchy anywhere, having a little pick at things and making sure nothing was, nothing was untoward, making sure where I'd taped the, uh, the skirting boards and around the door frames and stuff had got a nice crisp line. I wanted to make sure it looked really good. We also have a dog, and so I would be constantly going down there and making sure she wasn't scuffing it up or rubbing her bum up against it and making it look scruffy. And, and I was constantly going down there and stressing about it and checking on it, making sure that, that it was still looking beautiful. But it got to the point where I had to physically and consciously stop myself and make a decision. I had, to, I had a choice to make and I had to stop and decide and the choice that I had was this. I can either have this perfectly painted, beautiful, pristine magnolia wall in my hallway downstairs, or I can have a home that is lived in and shared and loved and used by the people and the dog that I love. It's safe to say if you look at the wall now, I chose the latter. But we all have this kind of decision to make in all sorts of areas of our lives, not just when it comes to the painted walls in our houses, but over and over again, we have this choice, this decision that we have to make almost on a daily basis of, am I gonna choose this? Am I gonna choose the, the preciousness and the almost sacredness of stuff? Or am I gonna choose love and life and relationship? I just love that story that Jesus uses to tell, um, to tell this, uh, this parable that he, he, he uses, this short story where he talks about this man who is already wealthy. He's already doing well for himself. He's got land and he's got barns and he's farming and he's doing well for himself anyway. He's got multiple barns already. 
And that this one, this one year, even though we're told it has nothing to do with him because he has no control over what the crops are going to do each year, but this one year he has this bumper crop, this massive yield of, of abundance within his fields, and his barns that he already owns simply cannot take the sheer amount of volume of blessing that he has got. And so now he's in a bit of a quandary. He doesn't know what to do because his barns are full and he's still got more it's a nice problem to be in and he, he, he thinks to himself I know what I'm going to do I'm going to tear down these perfectly good barns these barns that have, that have treated me well over the years I'm going to tear them all down and in their place I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can carry more stuff that's what I'm going to do and so that's what he did and he built these bigger barns and these bigger, bigger barns and he filled them with all of this crop, all of this stuff. And he went to bed that night thinking, yes, he was happy with himself. He was pleased with what he had done. And Jesus very quickly says that was the most foolish choice he could have ever made because that man died that night. And what good was bigger barns? And what good was more stuff? Didn't leave him with anything extra. And that kind of cautionary tale is for all of us as well. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but as kind of these modern civilised Westerners that we are, we all love our stuff, don't we? We all, as humans, have a penchant for stuff. We obsess over it. There are TV shows dedicated to all of the stuff, whether it's things that we've gathered and hoarded and collected in the past or whether it's things that we're looking out for now all of these kind of bargain hunt shows and cash in the attic and um, these shows about hoarders and these shows about the the lockups where they open these lockups up and see what kind of treasures are hidden within it's because we have all of this stuff so you live in a house or a flat or wherever it is you live and in this house or flat you have that one drawer where you keep all that stuff that you don't know what to do with. Or maybe you have a cupboard, and the cupboard is the place where you put all of that stuff that you don't know what to do with, all that excess. Maybe you've even got a spare room within your house that you use not to have someone in, but to have things in. It's where you keep your stuff. Or maybe it's your attic or your loft where you put all your stuff. Or a garage, because we don't put cars in our garages anymore, do we? No, we fill them with our stuff. When our houses can't hold it anymore, it spreads out into other areas. So we go and hire that lockup and fill it with more stuff. I shared on Sunday as well, I can almost remember it almost being like a spiritual practice as it got closer to Christmas or a birthday. The the, the practice of sitting down with the Argos and index catalogues and opening up and flicking through the pages and all of this stuff that was potentially presence for me, potential that, that I could get some of this stuff. So we've got a modern day version of that now, is just simply sitting with your phone and scrolling through the Amazon app. Whatever it is, and for whatever reason, there is something within us all that loves stuff. Now Jesus in this passage isn't calling this wrong. He's not calling us out on our obsession with stuff. He's not saying that the, the stuff, the possessions, the things are wrong or evil in and of themselves. No. 
But instead he's saying it's about how we relate to our stuff that's important. Jesus is pointing out that the problem comes when we don't like what we've got, when we're not happy, when we're not satisfied, when we're not content with the kind of life that we're living and the things that we have, when we don't like the food that we have, when we don't like the clothes that we own, when we're not happy with what we've already got and we want more. And that kind of incessant kind of obsession over more, that's what causes worry. That's what causes stress. That's what causes anxiety. You see that statement that Jesus makes about not being happy with what we've got and also looking around at others and comparing ourselves and competing with others and wanting more. That sounds really familiar. That's not just a first century Middle Eastern issue, is it? No. That's a 21st century Western issue, just as much. And the reason is, is because it's a human issue and that never changes. That's exactly what happens today when we go on Instagram. So I go on to Instagram or, or wherever on social media with, with this set of intentions. I've got maybe even good intentions. I want to go and I want to be uplifted. I want to be inspired. I want to be encouraged to, to do more or to be better. I want to, um, if I'm honest, be nosy and see what you lot are all getting up to. But very, very quickly and very subtly and sneakily, that what started off as all the good intentions and all the best will in the world starts to spiral downwards and starts to sink lower and lower into this deeper thing of, of um, going to this place of comparing myself with other people and other people's lives. And then I very quickly start to feel anxious about things or I look at my own life and I feel fed up or depressed because my life doesn't look like that. I'm not a person like that. I don't have the life that they live and the stuff that they own. And it's interesting to notice um, why Jesus tells this little parable about this man with the, who builds the bigger barns in the first place. Because why does Jesus tell this parable? Jesus tells this story to, to, an address, to address a situation, to answer a question really. And it's because of this. A man comes to Jesus and he says, tell my brother to give me more inheritance. Why would he say that? Because he'd looked around and he compared and he competed with others, even his own brother, and he wasn't happy with what he got. He'd looked around at others and he'd looked at himself and all of a sudden he wants more. This works in two ways, as I've already just said, with competition and comparison. It's what social media feeds into us over and over and over again. So we look out at what others have got or what others are wearing or where they've gone on holiday or what car they drive or what restaurants they're going to or what plates of food they're enjoying. And we compete and we go, huh, well, they think that's a nice plate of food. Wait till they see this plate of food. And we post ours as a kind of competition, almost like a rivalry to try and one-up each other all the time. Either that or we compare ourselves and it has that negative knock-on effect where we look at 
all the things that they're doing and all the places that they're going and all the friends that they've got and all the likes that their posts are getting. And then we look at ourselves and go, oh. And this competing and comparison even either pushes us on to want to try and do more, be more, achieve more, squeeze that, um, that glue gun even tighter. Or to just kind of give up and to spiral down and to sink down into that kind of depression, worry, fear, anxiety mess that we can kind of wallow in. Reminds me of another story that Jesus tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. He says that uh, one day both a Pharisee and a tax collector go to the temple to pray, to, to worship God. And the the Pharisee goes straight to the front. You can almost see him barging people out of the way so he can get right up to the front and in a big kind of demonstrative way, in a loud voice so everyone can hear, he prays this big, epic-sounding prayer with long words and deep theology and goes on and on and on in this prayer and ultimately gets to the point where as he's looking around and comparing and competing with the others in the temple, no less, He sees this tax collector at the back of the room and his prayer ends with, thank you God that I am not like him, that I am not like this dirty tax collector, that I am not like this sinner. He he at that moment is competing and he sees himself as a winner. All this while the tax collector is stood at the back, kind of head down, hunched over maybe, trying to hide in the shadows at the back. Maybe no one's even, up until that point, even noticed that he is there. And he, again, as well, I'm sure, looks around and compares himself to others and sees the expensive clothing and the rich offerings and the extravagant-sounding prayers and these big examples of how much people love God. And then he, he looks at himself and he just feels lower and lower and lower. And yet, we're told by Jesus that that tax collector told, says this prayer. He says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that is the most honest thing that that man could have done. And Jesus finishes that story by saying that actually it is the tax collector and not the Pharisee that leaves that temple that day in right relationship with God. You see... We aren't going to be able to stop ourselves from competing or comparing. It's just what we do as humans. The choice comes down, just like it did with my Magnolia wall. The choice comes down to what we do with it. Are we going to stand at the front of our temples and offer God these big, bold, extravagant praises done as a show, done as a way of saying, look how much I've got. Look how good I am. Look at all of my stuff. And look how much better I am than everyone else. Are we going to choose that? Or are we going to choose to take that competition and that comparison and to use it to do what it needs to do within us, which is to humble us and to bring us down to the point of recognising that this is all about God and that all we can do, all we can hope for, is that God has mercy on us. But back to this idea of more. That's what the Pharisee was doing in that story. And that's what the, um, the rich farmer with the bigger barns was doing in the, the story before that. That's the culture that we live in today. It's a culture of more. 
It's how we measure wealth and achievement and accomplishment and success. All to do with more, climbing higher, working harder, doing it faster, shining brighter, getting more, climbing that ladder faster than anyone else. It's all about more, more, more. We stress and we worry because we seek after more, don't we? And yet that's not what Jesus says. In that, in that section that I read, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Not seek first your stuff, but seek first the kingdom of God. But the problem is when we seek first after other things, we stress and we worry and we get anxious because we seek after more food and more clothes and more comfort and more success. That phrase there, seek after, we don't use it very often in our kind of language today in modern society. It means to set your heart upon. You see, there's nothing wrong, Jesus knew, there's nothing wrong with food and clothes and being comfortable and successful. Jesus loved to go to parties and to spend time with people and to eat good food and to drink good wine. It's why he got called a glutton and a friend of sinners. Because he recognised that there is nothing wrong with those things. But it starts to go wrong when we set our hearts upon those things. So how do I know if I am setting my heart upon those kinds of things, the wrong kinds of things? What are the signs? What are the clues that I'm doing this? It starts to become all about an identity thing. I start to believe that that thing, those, that stuff makes me who I am. So I am my car. I am that promotion. I am the number of followers I have on Twitter. I am how many people listen to this podcast each week. I am that much money in the bank. We make it about our identity. We make what we own all about who we are, what we have all about whose we are, when in fact our identity is found in Jesus. The who we are and the whose we are comes from Jesus. One more thing, um, just about the math. Uh, You know I'm a fan of maths. No, I'm not really. But there's this thing about ones and zeros. If you put zeros before a one, it does nothing to that one. But if you put your zeros after that one, that increases the one exponentially. So we need to make sure that all of our stuff, all of the things that we live our lives acting like they're important when really they're not, they're our zeros. And Jesus is our one. Seeking first that kingdom life that Jesus comes to show us, that's the one. And we put that first in our lives and all those zeros will follow after. We get the one in the right place and the zeros will follow after. Grace and peace.